Well, Oregon is featured on College Game Day this Saturday in Salt Lake City against the Utes. If Oregon wins the ground game, they win the whole game. Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked On Ducks. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day, and your number one source to stay up to date with the Ducks. So if you have not already, like, comment, subscribe, rate, review, please, and thank you wherever you listen to or watch this show, which today is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. These days, every new potential hire can feel like a high-stakes wager for your small business. That is why LinkedIn Jobs helps find the right people for your team faster and for free. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on college terms and conditions do apply. We're talking Utah. We've got Brian Smith later to talk about recruiting plenty on today's show. But first and foremost, it's the ground game. It's the ground game for Oregon. It's the ground game for Utah. Whoever wins the rushing attack probably wins the football game. Like I say that with a 90% confidence interval. Why? Oregon on the season is running for 227 yards per game. They have been, as I talked about earlier this week, a tremendously balanced offense because they run the ball, creating explosive plays, not just to keep the defense honest. They throw the ball. They execute the RPO game well. They make explosive plays. Troy Franklin's awesome. Tez Johnson is great. They have got everything there. On the season, Oregon is running for 227 a game and allowing 95, which is a real solid number, slightly better than what they averaged last year, which was the strongest element of their defense. I think last year was around 108 yards a game. Utah runs for 183 yards a game. They only allow 78. So their margin is in that sort of range for Oregon. So Oregon's about plus 130 on the ground every game. Utah is plus 105. And it's more integral to what Utah does than what Oregon does. Perfect example. Oregon ended up, thanks to a defensive score late, but last time I checked, that still counts as points, with 38 points on the road against Texas Tech when they only ran for 113 yards per game. If Utah had a football game in which they only ran for 113 yards, they would not be able to light up the scoreboard because Cam Rising is not there. And Bryson Barnes has solidified himself as Utah's starter, deservedly deservedly so. I'll talk about him more later in today's show. But Utah is dependent on the ground game. Oregon has it as a component of their offense. It's the primary feature by, I think, a 55-45 split. But you look at what Oregon did offensively last week against Washington State. 38 points. Bo Nix threw for 293, and Oregon ran for over 240. That is when they are at their best. When Utah is at their best, they are running for more yards than they're throwing for. Over the last two weeks, Utah, when their offense has really started to get into a groove against Cal at home and USC on the road last week, and we know the Trojans' defense is awful, still, Utah's offense has played much better. They have run for 282 yards a game. 282 yards again. That's even more than what Oregon is averaging in the midst of a stretch in which they have run for over 200 yards in five consecutive ball games. If Oregon is able to win the running battle, if they go for 200 and Utah goes for 150, are you holding them even to 160? I don't think that Utah can put up enough offense to win the football game. The Utes are throwing this year 
They've gone back and forth with Bryson Barnes and Nate Johnson, and now they've got Sione Vaki in there as a Wildcat quarterback. He's only running the football, but he's really good at it. They're throwing for 162 yards a game this year. That is last in the Pac-12. Dead last behind everybody else. It's not something they can do at a high level. Bryson Barnes last week played one of his better games as a college quarterback, maybe his best game. He went for 232 yards, I think it was, three touchdowns and a pick six. That's about the high end of what he can do for this Utah offense. And obviously it can be enough. It can clearly be enough. But if you force Bryson Barnes to throw the football a lot, I do not believe he has the ability against this Oregon defense to go out there and put up 300 plus and a few scores and lead Oregon. The Ducks, on the other hand, of course we want them to be balanced. We want Bucky Irving to be involved. Utah's run defense is stingy. If the game looks more like Texas Tech, Bo Nix can throw the football 30 to 40 times, go for over 300 yards and multiple touchdowns. Think about the Washington State game last year. Oregon gets down. They were running the football well, but had to rely on Bo Nix to bring him back. They're throwing the football a bunch. He goes for over 400 yards and I think it was four or five touchdowns and Oregon wins the game 44-41. Utah doesn't have that in their back pocket. They cannot, Bryson Barnes can, I, I think the highest he could go for against this Oregon team is probably 250, 260 yards. So if you win the rushing battle in a significant way, if you're maintaining the balance offensively, I don't know that anybody can stop the Oregon offense. And if you are controlling Utah's rushing attack, I don't see the explosiveness or consistency that leads me to believe they could get into a shootout with Bryson Barnes at the helm. With Cam Rising, they could. Did that against USC last year. But with Bryson Barnes there, I do not see it. So winning the rushing attack is the most important element for the Ducks. Another thing they've got to do to win the football game, but is secondary to winning the rushing attack, though still important, is protecting Bo Nix. So Bo Nix this year has been just awesome. And I've talked about him time and time again about how we're kind of getting numb to it and just expecting him to play well because he's just playing well every single week. He's just showing up and he's the same guy. He's making good decisions. He isn't having to run the football as much, which I like. He's got a ground game to supplement him. He's making good throws. He's making explosive throws. You look at the long touchdown to Tez Johnson. You look at the long throws to Troy Franklin. They have done a really, really good job orchestrating this offense in a way that allows him to be put in positions to succeed. And as a result, he has executed time and time again. Now, this is the number two key for the Ducks, though. He has to continue being protected. The offensive line has been really good. As I thought before the season, still not as good as last year. He'd been sacked once through, I think, seven or eight games last year. He's been sacked four times this year, which is still an outstanding number. Do not get me wrong. However, it is not quite at last year's level, though it is very close to it. The offensive line has to maintain that. And this is probably their biggest test yet. Washington has got two NFL caliber defensive ends in Braylon Trice and Zion Tupola Fatui. Utah's defensive front across the board, especially their interior, I think has got more depth and they just look a bit more physical than Washington. And Jonah Ellis is a monster. Jonah Ellis is an absolute bona fide beast. So he has to be able, Bo Nix, to have time to throw and not be under duress 
from a really good Utah front seven that is the best Oregon has faced this season. Those are the two biggest keys. Other elements to the game, though, including Utah quarterback Bryson Barnes, who you can pick over at Prize Picks because they've got a bunch of over-under win totals. Prize Picks is the largest independently owned daily fantasy sports platform in North America, the easiest and most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. It's just you against the numbers. That's it. Instead of battling thousands of other players, and pros and sharks and everybody, you just pick more than or less than on two to six player stat projections and watch the winnings roll in. So if you think Bo Nix is due for a big game, you can pick him over his total. If you think Troy Franklin's about to pop off, you can pick him over or you can pick anybody else you see in there, whoever you're feeling. Quick withdrawals, easy gameplay, and an enormous selection of players and stat types are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Go to prizepicks.com slash locked on college. Use code locked on college for first deposit match up to $100. That's prizepicks.com slash locked on college. Use code locked on college for a first deposit match up to $100. You might be looking at hundreds of applicants for your new hire whatever business you're running. LinkedIn jobs is the way that you want to help whittle that down. Because these days, every new potential hire can feel like a high stakes wager for your small business. You want to be 100% certain, not 99, 100, that you have access to the best qualified candidates available. And that is why you have to check out LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn jobs helps find the right people for your team faster and for free, which is great. Small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on college that's linkedin.com slash locked on college to post your job for free terms and conditions do apply all right good little refreshing second segment sip ice cold water always gotta have the ice cold water or it just doesn't hit the same a couple other things to get to here before we bring on Brian Smith later to talk about recruiting, which is in a good spot. And by the way, tomorrow we'll have JT Wistersill of Locked On Utes right here on the show. And we'll be doing a nice little crossover episode uh, to give you all the details you need to know going into this college game day affair with the Utes. So tune into that. And if you want to be a Locked On Ducks insider, go join the Locked On Ducks subtext community at subtext.com slash Locked On Ducks or click the link in the description below. Free 14-day trial. Then it's just $5 a month. You get a chance to talk with me one-on-one. You can get priority mailbag. You get all the thoughts that I have, even more than the ones that I share here on the show. So tons of perks. Go check it out. Mailbag time here. This one from FaZe. F-A-I-Z. I I assume that's how you pronounce it. Maybe it's like phase, like maze, but there's no ease at Fies. I don't know. Fies could be a lot of things. Do you think we just load the box and dare Utah to throw versus man all day? Feels like it's pretty straightforward, but makes sense to me. He's saying man there is in man-to-man coverage. That's what I would do. That's what I would do. There, There is not an all-conference caliber player on the Utah offense outside of the running back position. Jaquinda Jackson, Sione Vaki. Yep. Those guys are really good. But Devon Vele and Money Parks, and there's another receiver whose name is eluding me right now, who I'm going to look up because I hate when I can't remember something. But I, I, I do not – Mikey Matthews, that's the guy. All three of those players, Devon Vele, Money Parks, Mikey Matthews, all have about 200 receiving yards and two combined touchdowns among them. That doesn't scare me. And when I look at the way this secondary has played, no, it wasn't a perfect performance last week against Washington State. Cam Ward is immensely more talented, crafty, and and just a better overall quarterback. 
than Bryson Barnes, who can do enough to win football games. He can do enough. But if I'm the Ducks, I say, we got to win the rushing attack, as I talked about earlier, and you got to trust your secondary at some point. And I do. I, I, I really do. I look at that Washington game and say, they played really well. And if Oregon converts that late fourth and three, Michael Penix ends the, ends the game with 257 passing yards. And the catches that his wide receivers had to make, tough contested catches with elite throws, I'm forcing Bryson Barnes to try and make those sorts of plays. That's what I would do. I, I would not have a lot of boxes that are lighter than, than a seven-man front, certainly never a five-man box. But a, a seven- or eight-man box should be a regular sighting on Saturday, if I'm the defensive coordinator here, we'll see what Chris Hampton and Tosh Lupoy and Dan Lanning all decide to put together from a game plan standpoint. I think you're going to see him try and stop the run in a big way and say, hey, Bryson, we want you to throw the football on third and six on third and eight. And if he makes throws, we'll live with that because we feel that our quarterback can uh, can outperform him, which he absolutely can. So, yeah, I, I like that approach. Stop the rushing attack at all costs and say, I dare you to go make a throw. Like the top three receivers, 200 yards each. We're seven games into the season. They don't throw the football well. It is their biggest weakness offensively by far. This question from Gavin. Hey, Spencer, I have a podcast question. I believe one of Oregon's very few weaknesses is allowing quarterbacks to get big gains on the run, specifically referring to Texas Tech. From what I saw, Bryson Barnes against USC seems like he too is very similar to Tyler Shuck and he can make big plays with his feet. Is this something us Oregon fans should be concerned about heading into the game this weekend? Love the podcast, by the way. I've been watching every day since last year. Keep up the great work and go Ducks. Appreciate you. Love it. Love having an everyday or check in the mailbag out there. So the answer to the question is I see a lot of similarities between Bryson Barnes and Tyler Shuck. Neither one is small. Both are mobile, but not running quarterbacks. Tyler Shuck has a better arm. Bryson Barnes has a good enough arm, but not a great one. And neither guy had lost a start going into the game against Oregon. Tyler Shuck was, I think, a perfect 8-0. Bryson Barnes, in games that he has started, he started the Washington State game last year. He started the Florida and Baylor games this year. He started the Cal and USC games, and he was the backup to Nate Johnson in every other game this season. He has not lost a game in which he's been the starting quarterback. He's like 5-0, 6-0, somewhere in that range. A lot of similarities there. They're sneaky good runners. And they will use design quarterback runs. Saw it in the red zone last week against USC. Saw it in a scramble situation that wasn't a design, but certainly an effective one, late in the game to set up the game-winning field goal. Neither one of these guys, I feel, are going to torch Oregon for you know, 350, 400 yards like a Cam Ward or a Michael Penix. But both guys are certainly capable of doing enough to win the game. The key with both of them is they're not the driving force of their teams. They're just managing the game in an effective fashion. And Oregon turned over Tyler Shuck four times, a fumble and three picks. I think one was on a Hail Mary, but still forced turnovers in that game. You can turn over Bryson Barnes. USC had a pick six a week ago. He's a guy who, you know, will make plays outside the pocket, is not going to be a slippery to get away from like Cam Ward. It'll come down to whether or not they can beat the Utah offensive line, which is really, really good. But the similarities there are rampant. You just go up and down. You look at the play style. You look at their stats and everything like that. I see a lot of similarities there. And 
I think that they are used in similar ways. Shuck runs a little bit more than Bryson Barnes, but Barnes will run and he can do so effectively. And Oregon definitely has to be on watch for that. This question here from Blazer Duck, a regular asker on the show. Spencer, what's the ratio of sacks generated by the front four versus Oregon bringing the blitz? You have asked a question that has um, outmatched my logistical capabilities. I do not have access to every single play that Oregon has run defensively this year. The follow-up question that you've asked here is, uh, Spencer, when the Ducks blitz, they haven't been good. They've been great at generating sacks and forcing the other teams to scramble and throw bad passes. Your thoughts, and do you see Oregon trying to blitz more the rest of the season? I think they're doing just fine. Oregon has 25 sacks this year. 25. Had zero against Portland State, remember. They had six last week against Wazoo. I'm not worried about the pressure rate. I'm not worried about the blitzing and are they doing that enough? Are they getting enough pressure with, you know, rushing forward? Do they need to blitz more? What they're doing is working. Stats are a starting point, not an end point. I say that all the time. To me, this is indicative of what we have been seeing, which is the defense has dramatically improved its ability to get after the quarterback. They did so very well last year against Utah on their best defensive outing of the season. And I think with Barnes back there, they could be set up potentially if they play to their their full potential. They could be looking at a really, really good defensive outing uh, once again on Saturday. Uh, last one here. This is, a, this is a funny one. Spencer, I wonder if Oregon could use AI to its advantage in reviewing the game film of their opponents and themselves, maybe to analyze the most effective plays. Your thoughts? I have no idea what AI is and is not capable of in that regard. Here's again what I do know. That's what our coaches are capable of, which is understanding what other teams are going to try to do and taking it away. And I've been really happy with Oregon's defense this year. Really happy with it. I don't think they need to be going to, to the AI department, but I respect the outside the box question there from my guy, Blazer Duck. I also respect your right to go to FanDuel and bet the line if you think Oregon's going to win the game big. Six and a half, seven point favorite. Depends on when you look kind of going back and forth. FanDuel, though, is America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place just a $5 bet. That's $200 in bonus bets, whether you win or lose. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is super easy to use. They've got spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash on, kick off the NFL season, and get your college football gambling fix as well. That's FanDuel.com slash on. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. All righty. It is that time to check in with my main man, Brian Smith, because we all like Brian's insight on the recruiting front, and those efforts looking pretty darn good right now. Thrilled to be joined, as always, by Brian Smith, our Locked On Recruiting Insider. And this recruiting segment segment is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs is the official recruiting sponsor here at the network. And you can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash college. So, Brian, let's talk recruiting. Number one name at the top of Oregon fans' minds. Is that man Elijah Rushing, the Arizona decommit? It seems like all the smoke is going towards Oregon. You are hearing or feeling what? 
Sounds like you just read my mind. Um, I don't like betting against Dion and recruiting because he is the one albatross in terms of not nothing personal against him. You just don't know how kids are going to respond to him going after them. Um, last year, I was at the Under Armour All-American game, and as he normally does, Cormani was the last one out of the locker room before the game, and he came up in the stands where I was sitting, and I know him well, and he's like, Dion, that man calls me every single day. That's it's just different when Dion calls you and they just got into the recruitment with him. Wait, and they got him. So it's like, I, I don't know how to, to grade that, but I've heard Oregon, Colorado. If that changes, so be it. But we've also discussed on this show that the dad has mentioned, Hey, we want to go somewhere that's got a chance to win now. Where do you rank Colorado in that? Not as Compared close as Oregon. Oregon. <laughs> I mean, I'm not trying to be mean, but I'm guessing Dion's kids not necessarily going to be back next year. I don't know. That's a because they don't need the money. He might come right. back and just play college and just enjoy the NIL. Yeah, he could. Yeah, he could. Because was, he's the exception to all rules. He's running around with a Rolex on his arm, literally. So the money, yeah, don't get me started on that. That was not a good look. <laughs> But uh, for those who are unaware, by the way, just real quick, uh, that was what Shador Sanders did after a 27 to 24 win against lowly Arizona State in Tempe. He went and taunted the student section and followed it up by losing to Stanford at home after leading 29 nothing. So it again is just it's just it's classic Colorado. It's 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 Karma. very flashy. It is attention grabbing. They like to celebrate a lot when they win. And that leads to people celebrating when they lose. And. That's what makes them such an interesting and some would say great spectacle in college football one way or the other. I'm going to let you just ride with that statement and I'm going to <laughs> just stay away from it from there. Brian's just going to stay away from it there. <laughs> so, you know, Aiden Breland was a great get for the Ducks and hopefully the Oregon's able to, to keep him committed. Getting rushing would be the second five-star of the class. There's a couple other five-stars I, I want to ask you about. But as Oregon looks ahead to 2024, that'll be the first year they play in the big 10. Do you think that's playing a role here in, in Oregon's recruiting success? Cause it's around the same ranking nationally as it was a year ago, but by the time Oregon actually gets into the big 10, do you think, you know, competing for a top 10 class every year easily or readily in a readily available fashion converts to competing for a top five class every year? Is there a big bump? I've had some people wanting me to ask you that. The exact number is a great question. I'll ponder that for a second, but let me let me frame it in this this manner. They're going to be playing a third of their games in the Midwest to East, which they recruit already. Well, now you can say, "Hey, you're going to be watching us. Your mom and dad might be driving to an away game, but at least you're going to see us." I think it's going to open more doors because they're not going to be the West Coast team anymore just out in Oregon somewhere. A lot of the fans that watch the game, they just know the Ducks. So they probably don't even know what city they're in. It's Eugene, by the way, in case you're just randomly watching this podcast. <laughs> and I guarantee you that. Like, there are recruits that don't know which city it's in that are Ducks fans. Recruits, that's a different different animal. They're not real good with the logistics of that. But now you're traveling all over the place in areas you recruit. That's going to be beneficial. Even if it's just one or two kids a year, and we saw this with Breland, what happened to their recruiting ranking when they got the five-star kid? Got into the top 10. What did I tell you a couple of weeks ago? That it was going to go in. Yeah. Now, if you add two, you're on that five to seven range every year. Then it just comes down to some, some 
basic luck. Is there a kid that is a, a Ducks fan from an area like Florida or Texas, or maybe his dad played for the, you need that extra guy to get into the top five. It's still hard to beat Georgia, Alabama, Ohio. Like they right. have so many easy wins because the kid that's 30 minutes away is a Georgia fan. And his dad went to, I mean, it's any idiot can recruit to Georgia. Ducks, it's a little harder, but now that gap is closed and nobody has more of a budget because of Mr. Nike to go out and recruit. So they, they should be fine at top 10, Throwing a very unusual year, they should be top 10. I would think four out of five years in at least one out of five, top five. Well, like so far, the only the only full recruiting cycle we've seen from Lanning and the staff is, is a top 10 class. So that's clearly right. the standard. And if you continue winning at, at a high level and start to make some, you know, marquee performances out there and go make a college football playoff appearance, I think there, there can certainly be some upside there going to the Big Ten. Another five-star that was uh, on campus for the Washington State game and was treated to an awesome crowd and a well-played game from, from the Ducks as well. Not their best game, but a, a solid victory over, over Washington State. There's a guy by the name of Jordan Seaton, who is a five-star 2024 offensive line recruit. A little bit newer on the recruiting radar, at least in, in my world, but he was on campus last week. You always preach the importance of you got to get a kid on campus. You got to yes. get a kid on campus. Yes. You get a yes. kid on campus. Oregon visits, you've noted as well, are different. And when you do it on a game day like that, with oh, that sort yeah, of crowd, yeah, yeah. that that's that's going to make a, an impression here. So what have you heard? This would be the highest rated recruit uh, on the offensive line for Elite Terry in the 2024 cycle. I was actually just at IMG last week. They have so many kids. I wasn't there just to see Jordan. They literally had 20 Power 5 kids. I mean, it's absurd. But matter of fact, they probably have a little over that count in some of the underclassmen who aren't even starting yet. But that's another another story. It's it's incredible. He's a prototypical, hardworking, I want to get better. I'm going to change my life by moving all the way down to South Florida. He's an East Coast kid. And he is a technician. He's got offers from Ohio State, Alabama, Georgia. Everybody wants him. And he he's made it clear that his decision would be very late. And he wasn't sure when I talked to him a few weeks back that he didn't know how it would finish in terms of it. Like Florida was one he was talking about and this and that. I didn't even know Oregon because if I didn't know when he was getting ready to take it, I was standing next to him the other night. He didn't even say anything to him. But like I'd spoken to him like five times. He's I've had enough interviewing him. Oregon's just the latest one. He's one of the hardest kids in the country. Now that LJ McCray has picked Florida, his recruitment might be the most difficult of anybody to pick because he's got Florida, he's got Oregon, Oklahoma, Bama, Georgia. It's everywhere. But Alabama and those schools haven't had the most recent visit the Ducks have. And he's got a, probably a better chance to play early. You'd have to answer that better than me. I mean, I don't know how many how many seniors they got in their on their tackle depth chart. Well, a Johnny, he's Corn definitely a, a, a Johnny Cornelius he's is someone who could go to the NFL after the season. I don't know. I don't know that that is a lock. I'd have to double check his uh, eligibility real quick. But I, I think that if he goes, you know, Josh Connerly is locked into being. Uh, yeah. So he, yeah. Connerly or uh, Cornelius could come back. Don't know if he will. Connerly has to come back because he yeah, doesn't have uh, enough. He hasn't spent enough time in college yet. He's got one more season uh, at least before he could go to the NFL. So I think it would depend on what a Johnny Cornelius does as to whether he could play in his first year. Cause Cornelius has been a really good tackle for, for the ducks this season. So like, is that factoring into his recruitment? You think? 
Well, I mean, he's a kid that could play early in a lot of places because he's such a technician. I'm not saying he's fearful of competition because like Ohio State, Bama, you know, Georgia have been on his list. So, but it can't hurt. And he's open-minded, very intelligent kid. This is not your typical recruit that just gets blown away with bling. Because if that was the case, he's taken a gazillion visits. He'd already be committed somewhere. But the Oregon visit, like I've said, is probably the most unique in all of college football when you do it with game day. I mean, that's that's got to be impactful. So I, now that I, I found that out, I didn't even know he was going to Oregon. I would have said something to him Thursday night. Again, I was standing literally next to him. But I'll have to find out more. And that's, that's a really unique one because I don't think there's anybody else out that direction that he's really looking at. Oregon might be able to steal one here. So last thing for you, Brian, is a question that came in from my guy, Blazer Duck, a regular question asker. And you can always ask questions, YouTube, Twitter, or join subtext for priority mailbag access. Oregon's got a pretty loaded class right now. Number nine in the country in the 24-7 sports composite rankings. A lot of blue chip players. It's a pretty well-rounded class for, for for the most part. There are a couple spots. You know, there's only one running back, for instance. That could be a position. They're looking at Jason Brown, uh, for, for instance, and I think that that's a position that they still could definitely go after uh, in, in this recruiting class. But how many more players realistically can they get? You know, they're going after Elijah Rushing, of course. They're right. going after Jordan Seaton. Jason Brown is on their radar. Is, is, is three the number? Are there only going to be three more players? Like, what what's... What do you what do you think is you know the maximum number of additional recruits we could see get added to this class? That is the million dollar question for every school because in my lifetime it's always been twenty five. How many kids you could sign that, that I've really followed recruiting? They lifted that rule, but you still have eighty five for your roster. So the answer for every school is different. Plus, you have the portal, the magical. We have no idea what's going to happen on our roster. Is the transfer portal? You, in my opinion, you oversign, kids will leave, and then in the summer you figure it out. It's awkward, but that's just the way it is. If an elite player like the Brown kid wants to come, you got to take him. So I don't really look at it as it's three, it's two, it's one. It could be five. Okay. If Seton on signing day and you don't expect it, he calls up and says, I'm coming. You take him. I mean, yeah. That's. I don't know how you can say no in today's world. Right. And there are 20, there are 23 verbal commitments in the 2024 class right now from the high school ranks. And then that doesn't right. factor in the portal. Oregon is going to lose a good number of players from this year's team, but 23 is still a pretty hefty class right now. I, I would say no more than four, but two to three more is probably the most likely number. That, that'd be my guess. I think that's correct, but I'm just talking about in a perfect spiral if Seton or somebody like that at the last minute wants to come, there's no way that you want to turn down a potential NFL football player, especially at a critical spot like tackle. I mean, Seton's a great, great example of that. But the Ducks are a unique recruiting deal. It's the hardest school in the country to project kids because they do so much out of state, but yet they do a great job of scouting and getting kids on campus. That's a really interesting question, man. That, that, props to him for asking because I don't know if you can pinpoint it, but I'll go with your two or three as a minimum. I, I trust Dan to figure out recruiting. He's proven that before he ever landed in Eugene anyway. But they'll, they'll get some more kids, and if, if they have to, there'll be guys that are leaving in the summer next year.
Well, congrats to Blazer Duck. You have impressed Brian Smith. Not easy. That is not an easy thing <laughs> to do. He's at FBScout underscore Florida on Twitter. Brian, thank you so much. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Appreciate everyone listening. I'll see you next time. Have a wonderful rest of your day. And as always, go Ducks.